covering these seven very important questions. And by the way, if you've missed any of the four teachings that we've had in this series, we've talked about does, God, uh, does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? And is Christianity too narrow? Those are the topics we've touched until now, and they've all been amazing. And if you've missed it by any chance, guys, you could go to our YouTube page, all right? It's at Numa Church Miami, and you could check them out there. A lot of these things, man, are questions that we deal with, things that are going on in our society today, you know. And today, the question that we're going to be answering is, is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really God? All right. And all of us are here this morning, and I know that we have our amen people here, you know. So I say, how many of you guys think Jesus is God? Everybody's going to say you see, come on. How many of you think Jesus is God? You see, we get an amen. But not everybody out there thinks that, you know. And there's friends of ours, people that work with us, people that are our neighbors, you know. And maybe even we might have some of these questions, you know, in our heart, you know. And I know that most of us, you know, as we grew up, you know, if you come from the Roman Catholic background, like most of the Hispanics and Latins do, we have this image of Jesus, you know, that was presented to us, you know, of, you know, baby Jesus being born in the manger, you know. How many of us know that whole manger scene, you know what I'm saying? Jesus and the little manger, you have the cow and you have the donkey and then the angel on the top. You know, I remember being a little kid and seeing that. that those are probably my first images of Jesus, you know. And I was like, why do we always put this little baby. And I remember my mom, you know, being the good Catholic that she was, you know, she bought this baby Jesus and she just put it in the middle of our living room, not for Christmas, just throughout the whole year, you know, and she spent a lot of money on it. And there was like a Jesus that was like the size of a regular baby, maybe even bigger, just right there, right in front of the TV, you know? So I remember watching my old days of the Chicago Bulls games and Jesus would watch the game with me, you know, he would just be there, you know? And I would have all these questions. And then when Easter would come around, you know, we have all seen the movies, you know. We all seen the movies of Jesus, you know, with his disciples and the Last Supper. And then, you know, Jesus, you know, being arrested and being beaten. And I remember as a little kid, I would cry when it would get to that moment of the scene. Any of you guys would cry? You know, you would see. And, and I remember having questions. I was like, why are they beating him? You know, why is he going through this? Why are they putting that crown of thorn? And I remember as a little kid, my parents were like, you got to watch this. And I'm like, I don't want to see it, you know. But like, no, you got to watch it, you know. Why do we watch it? Because we do this in toda la Semana Santa, you know. We watch this. And uh, then I remember when Jesus died, you know. And, and you would see that. But that was not the end of the story. Then you would have, you know, all these angels and the screen would go white. You know what I'm saying? And then you would see like the rock moving and Jesus coming. Those are the first images that I have of Jesus. You know, you could have others. But a lot of times it has to do, you know, and it revolves around that. And if you go, come from a Latin American country for Christmas, you know, and for that Semana Santa, there's a lot of festivities and things that goes on around that. Those are the first images of Jesus that are ingrained into our mind and, and into our hearts, you know. And, and that's the Jesus that was presented to us. Now, Jesus is the most polarizing person in the history of this world. 
There hasn't been nobody more amazing but more polarizing than Jesus. You see, you can watch a sports game, and at the end of the game, you'll see somebody saying, yeah, I want to thank God, or I want to thank the men upstairs. That's what LeBron always says. And I'm like, who's the men upstairs? You know, it's like, I didn't know I was in the first floor and that there's another floor, you know? But the moment that somebody says, I want to praise Jesus for this win today, is like, even the reporter, like, you know, the microphone starts shaking. You're like, well, you know, and what do you think of this play? No, 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 you know, Jesus helped us win today. The moment that you and I mention Jesus, the conversation changes completely. I don't know if you've seen that. You could talk about God, and everybody loves God, and God's a loving God. But the moment that you bring Jesus into a conversation, everything drastically changes. Because Jesus polarizes. You have to make decisions when you come to Jesus, you know. You, you got to make these decisions. And some people love Jesus. Other people hate Jesus. Can somebody hate Jesus? Oh, there's people that hate Jesus. And some people fear Jesus. So, so the question that, that I want to answer as we start this message this morning is who was Jesus? Who really was he? Who, who, who was this guy that, that changed the course of time? And you could be one of those people that says, you know, uh, BCE, you know, when you put the time before the common era, you know, cause you don't want to acknowledge that time got broken in half by Jesus and it's before Christ and AD, the year of our Lord. Cause Jesus is the only person that has come and, and split time in two. Who is this person? Who is this person? You know that this is a question that Jesus even asked his own followers. When Jesus walked here on earth, he wanted to make sure that his followers understood who he was because even they were confused. And if you guys would go with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 15, this is that moment that Jesus comes to his disciples and it says this, Matthew 16, 13 through 15, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, why did he come to that region to ask this question? Because this was a place, and I've actually been in this place, okay, when we visit Israel. This is like a mountainous area where there was worship to many different gods. And back then there were statues of different gods that, 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 that there was pagan worship that would take place there. And when they got to that place, Jesus asked to his disciples, who do the people say that the son of man is? Who do the people say that I am? What, what, you know, I, I want to take a survey. I don't know if you've noticed every week when we're, we're putting uh, the Pulse video up here. It says the Barna survey. The Barna survey is these people that go in and interview, interview people. They ask questions. You know, the poll survey, you know, now that the elections are coming, they'll do surveys to see who you're voting for and all these things. And Jesus was doing a survey from his disciples. And, and he asked this question, who do the people say that I am? You know, and they could have said, well, NBC says, and they could have said, and CNN says, and Fox News says, no. Listen to what the disciples says. Well, they replied, some say that you are John the Baptist. And some say that you're Elijah. And others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So they're telling him, this is what's being said out there. But then Jesus gets personal. I want you to look at me real quick. Because there comes a time and a moment where we need to make a personal decision with Jesus. We can just leave it out there. 
And, and he wants you to have a personal faith. No, it's that my grandma used to go to church. Okay, that's all nice, but how about you? Oh, is that my grandma and my grandfather used to pray to God? Oh, that's beautiful, but how about you? Oh, is that my parents love Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? And, and look at the question, if we go to the next verse, that Jesus asked them, it's good that the people are saying all these things, and then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's a question that all of us in this room this morning, listen to what I'm going to say. That's a question that all of us in this room this morning, we need to answer. Who do we say Jesus is? And if you're watching online, that's a question that you not only need to answer, but you know what? We better have the right answer for it. We better have the right answer for, for this question because the reality is church, that there's only a few alternatives to who Jesus is. I'm going to break that down in a sec. There's only a few alternatives. Actually, I think there's only three alternatives to who Jesus is. Number one, you can write this down, okay? You know, because we have so many people that say, well, he was a good person. He was a prophet, you know? We have so many people that say, you know, he was a miracle doer. He was a messenger, a messenger of God. Three alternatives. Number one. He was a bad person. Pastor, what do you mean? Okay, I'm going to get there in a second. He was a bad person. Number two, he was a crazy person. He was mad. Or the third one, he was God in the flesh. Those are the three alternatives that we have. Okay, the first one, he was a bad person. How could he be a bad person? He, he was deceiving people. He was deceiving people, telling them that he was the son of God and that he was all these things. Wouldn't that be a bad person? A bad person saying, hey, listen, if you follow me, you'll have eternal life. And imagine he was making that up. Wouldn't that be a horrible person? Even worse than bad. Now, he could be a bad person, okay, but let me tell you something. That's not who Jesus is because it goes completely against the way that his character was. That went completely against what he taught. That went completely against the way that he walked. So can he be a bad person? No, because that's not what he showed at all. So we could take that one out of the equation. Now, how about if was he a, a crazy person? You know, today, you know, we see all these crazy people. And maybe a few years ago, you guys, the ones that are older, you remember of different sects, you know, like you guys remember maybe the, the Waco, Texas guy some many years ago, you know, that, that, that he had, you know, all these followers and everything. What happens? Usually when you kill the guy that started that sect, everything just dissolves. The other day I was reading an article. I, 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 didn't, even, I didn't even know that, that Manson is still alive. All right. And back in the 1960s, he deceived a bunch of people. And they all ended up in jail and everything like that. He's a crazy person. And most of the times when you kill the crazy person, that's it. Jesus, on the other hand, when they killed him, his followers became more and more and more and more. It didn't end. And that was the funny thing because after Jesus died and resurrected and all the Pharisees were gathered together, 
This guy, uh, Gamaliel, said, he goes, you know what? Let's just leave these disciples alone. If this is not of God, the same way that it happened with some other guys a few years ago, this thing is going to die off. But be careful because if it is of God, you might find yourself fighting against God. You know, so Jesus was not a bad person because that's not what his character and his teachings taught us. He's not a crazy person because there's more followers of Christ today than ever before. So that means that he has to be who he said he was. God in the flesh. A God in the flesh. And if I look at these three options, I'm going to choose the third one. I'm going to choose the third one. I'm going to choose the third answer that he is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to restore our relationship with the heavenly father. How do I know that? Now, this is the heart of the teaching. I want you to understand this. I want to share with you four points that let us know that Jesus is indeed who he said that he is, that he was, that he is the son of God, all God and all man at the same time. I'm going to share with you four points. Number one, write this down, please. Okay. How do I know? Number one, prophecy. Prophecy. Okay. Prophecy. Prophecies about the coming Messiah, okay, were spoken since the moment of the fall of man. Since the moment the man fell, there were prophecies that were given, and Jesus fulfills all the qualification of those prophecies. We're going to look at a couple of them. Now, I went to Bible school, okay, and when we were in Bible school, we had professors that would debate us. And when we would get into these debates, you know, they would go, so how about if Jesus was this really wise, smart Alec, that he would try to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken? In other words, if the prophecy said that he was going to do this, then he would show up there in order to fulfill that and say, hey, I'm the fulfillment. The prophecies that I'm going to share with you right now, I'm only going to share with you three, are ones that he could have never stepped in in order to fulfill because two of them actually happened before he was even born. All right, so I've never seen somebody before they're born actually fulfilling a prophecy. You know what I'm saying? Because you have no control of what's happening before you're born. And the other one has to do with his death. Okay, now I know some people that prepare for death. You know what I'm saying? Like you could prepare and say, okay, the day that I die, I want so-and-so to speak at my funeral. And I want my funeral to have this type of music. and this. But what I'm going to share to you today about his death he couldn't have prepared it. Why? Because he died in the hands of the Romans, and the Romans weren't even around when those prophecies were spoken. So three prophecies that let us know that Jesus is who he said that he was. The first one, we'll find it in a very tiny book at the end of the Old Testament named Micah. Okay? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, okay, it talks about the place where he was going to be born. Okay, the plate. How many of you guys chose to be born in Colombia? Raise your hand. Anybody choose to be born in Colombia? You chose it. No, right? No, 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 no. I mean, uh, anybody chose to be born in Cuba? No, nobody would choose that one. You know, it's like, hey, I want to be born in Hialeah, not Cuba, you know. How many chose to be born in Miami instead of New York? Because right now it's freezing over there. No, right? Nobody chooses the place of their birth. Look what Micah 5, 2 says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, 
whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Oof, I just got chills reading that, man. And look at the fulfillment of the prophecy in Matthew chapter 2, in the first part of verse 1. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the reign of King Herod. A prophecy that was spoken, okay, about 500 years before he was born. And here Jesus is being born where this prophecy said, and if you guys know a little bit about your Bible, you'll know that the only way that he was born there is because the, the emperor ordered a census and everybody had to move around and everything. God orchestrated everything perfectly for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Number two, okay, Jesus was born of a virgin. That was a prophecy that was given. That the Son of God, the Messiah, would be born out of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. That's what this verse says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. How many of us have seen a virgin conceiving a child before? I'm going to call TMZ over here. You know, have you seen that? Make sure that you get on the news today. Listen, the Lord will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So how is it that Jesus was born? We fast forward, okay, and Isaiah gave that prophecy about 700 years before Jesus was born. We fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, all right? And it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still, what does it say there? While she was still what? A what? A virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was spoken, it was prophesied. You cannot control where you're going to be born, and you cannot control in which circumstances you're going to be born. You're just born. You cannot control, okay, the moment that your mom conceived you and the way that you were conceived. And some people here, you know, maybe you wish that would have changed. Oh, I wish my mom would be different. I wish my dad would have been present and all these things. You don't control that the same way with Jesus. And the prophecy was fulfilled. Now, the last one we're going to look at here in this first point that we're talking about, how prophesy, prophecy shows us that Jesus is who he is. How is it that Jesus died? How is it that Jesus died? What happened to him? He was what? He was crucified. What was crucifixion? They would get nails and hammer you to what? To a cross. That wasn't the Jewish way of killing people. The Jewish way of killing people was through stoning. The Roman way of killing people was through what? Through crucifixion. The moment that this prophecy that we're going to read was given, there was no crucifixion because the Roman Empire didn't exist yet. 
And already God is foretelling the way that Jesus is going to die. In Zechariah chapter 12, another small book, just 12 chapters at the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I don't know if you're enjoying this, man, but this is so good. This is what Zechariah says, all right? This is about 500 years before Christ stepped on earth. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. Now pay attention. And they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as you mourn for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. What an amazing scripture. They will look to who? To the one that they have pierced. So how did Jesus die? John chapter 19, verse 17 and 18, and then verse 34. John 19, verse 17 and 18, and then verse 34. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull or Golgotha. There, they nailed him. They did what? They nailed him or they pierced him. They nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And after he died, just to make sure that he was dead, verse 34, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. You can't control the way you're going to die. You're not going to, you can't control what they're going to do to your body after you die. You know what? Look how the word was spoken and how Jesus fulfilled all those words, all those prophecies that were spoken hundreds of years before he said, those prophecies tell me that he is who he said that he is, the son of God. Number two, history. History talks to us, okay? And when I mean history, there's historians, okay? Besides the four gospel writings that we have of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because you can say, well, maybe those guys were paid off. Maybe they paid him off to write a couple of nice things about Jesus and that he was God and all these miracles. But there's a long list of references to Jesus as a historical person in ancient records. Okay? Scholars suggest that Jesus was born around four before Christ. How can Jesus be born before Christ if he's the Christ? Don't worry. Just follow me here. All right? Historians think that he was actually born not in the year zero, but in the year about four before Christ, and that he died around 30 or 29 AD, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a chronological uh, catalog, if I could say this, of some of the references, historical references, old ancient texts that speak about the historical Jesus. These are not Christian people, all right? But in the year 55, all right, in the year 55 AD, this guy named Thallius, explained the darkness that fell at midday when Jesus was crucified, and he said it was an eclipse, not a miracle. Talia's original work is lost, 
but the text survived through the quotation of later historians. So this guy talks about what? The moment that Jesus died. And that the whole earth became what? The Bible says it became dark. And this guy actually mentions that. Then there's another guy in the year 73, okay, in the year 73 AD, this guy named Mara Bar, Bar means son of Serpian, a Stoic with little known background, wrote a letter to his son describing how the Jews had killed their wise king. And that's a letter that was found later on, all right? Now, this one here that I'm going to read to you right now is from a guy named Josephus. And I actually had to read part of his book when I was in school. Josephus was a Jewish, non-Christian scholar, okay? He was a scholar, and he wrote in this book called Antiquities of the Jews, And in it, he describes the death of the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus called the Christ. That actually appears on his book. But consider what his book says before that. And this is the quote directly from the book of Josephus. About that time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept that truly the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. Listen to what he says. He was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had him condemned to be crucified, Those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day, he appeared to them restored to life. For the prophets of God have prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians so called after him has still to this day not disappeared. Wow. So this guy that is not a follower of Christ, he is writing down and speaking about who Christ is. So Jesus was indeed what, guys? A historical person, a historical person. The third point, okay, that lets us know that Jesus is the son of God. Write this down. His own proclamations or teachings. His own proclamations or teachings. Who did Jesus say that he was? If I said that Jesus is a polarizing person, is because of the things that he would speak. The things that he would say, okay? And the language that he would choose in order to, to, to speak, because he would align himself with the nature of God when he would speak. He would say things like, the Father and I are one. And then he uses terminology of I am. And if you guys know your Bible, who used that word? Well, it was, you know... When Moses saw this fire in a bush, and Moses hears from God, listen, I want you to go into Egypt and liberate the Israelites. And Moses says, who, who do I tell him is sending me? And he says, I am that I am. I am the great I am. We just sang it. And listen to this. Those are the terminologies that Jesus would use to describe himself. For example, he said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. He would use these terminology that were reserved for God. He would use it for himself. And in John 10, verse 30, if you guys could go with me there, John 10, 30 through 33. This is one that really blew the mind of the people that heard him. He says, for the Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Why did they pick up stones to kill him? Because that's the way that the Jewish would kill their people, through stoning, okay? And Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one of these are you stoning me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for your blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. These religious leaders could not bear in their minds the confessions that Jesus was making. You see, they didn't mind him being a prophet, you know, or somebody of, of, of a lower scale. You know what I'm saying? Because, listen, look over here. The Jewish people expected the Messiah to be a man, a kingly ruler, but not to be God. Not to be God's son, not to be God in the flesh. So the way that Jesus showed up was completely contrary to the way that they were expecting him to look or to be. Yet this is what it took, guys, to pay for your sins and my sins. It didn't take a king to come. It took God in the flesh sinless God to pay for the ones that sin all the time. So Jesus' confessions of who he was. And the fourth, okay, and last point that we're going to look at today that shows us that Jesus is indeed God. Here it is, his resurrection from the dead. And we'll get deeper into that in a few weeks when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But his resurrection from the dead. To me personally, guys, that's the greatest proof. I mean, you have the prophecies. You have history. You have his own claims. But listen, his own resurrection from the dead. Have any of you guys, okay, seen somebody die and resurrect? No? Okay. Resurrect himself, okay? Because today there are places like in Africa and stuff like that where the power of God is so strong, okay, that they'll pray for dead people and they'll write. But a person, okay, that would resurrect himself. Anybody seen that? No, right? Well, this is so amazing. Because Jesus would say something like what you find in John chapter 2. If you go to with me, John chapter 2 verse 19. Jesus would say things like, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. What temple was he talking about? The temple made of stones? No. What was he talking about? He was talking about his body. He was talking about himself. The Bible says that Jesus was taken to be crucified and died. And when that happened, guys, all his disciples ran away. They hid but we know the story. What does the story say? That on the third day, there were some women that were going to the tomb to anoint his body. 
with, with, with precious oils and, and different things. And when, when they got to the tomb, what did they find? They found that the stone had been rolled away. And as they were leaving, they, they were met by these angels that told them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They had this encounter and these women just run out. When they run out, they encounter Jesus. And Jesus tells them, hey, listen. He goes, I, go and tell my brothers to meet me up in Galilee. There they're going to see me. So these women ran off. And they tell the disciples. And disciples are not believing what's going on. They're like, these women are crazy. Maybe they woke up too early. Maybe they're going through a lot of pain, a lot of anguish because of what's happened. Until Jesus walks in the room where they're at. And they see him. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of heaven. You see... This is one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is who he said he was. Listen to this. If the disciples ran away when they were arresting him to be crucified, okay, listen to this. How are they going to come back three days later if this would have never happened and said, you know what, we're willing to give our lives for a lie. We're willing to go after this lie with all our hearts even if they kill us. Who's the guy that denied Christ? Do you guys remember the guy that denied Christ? Who was he? Peter, right? And we all make fun of Peter and everything. Peter denied Christ because Peter was afraid, what? That if Jesus is going to die, I'm going to die with him over here. So he denied Christ. Listen to this. Jesus resurrects. And this Peter, okay, that denied Christ is the first one to preach a message where 5,000 people get saved. Do you think if he didn't encounter Christ, he was actually going to preach about Christ? Actually, if you like a little bit of history, there's another book, not only Eusephus, okay, but there's another book of a guy named uh, Eusebius. It's another historical book of a guy from back in those days that talks about the way each of the apostles died. And you know what they would do to a lot of these guys? They would take them into the Roman Colosseum. They would tie them up in stakes. They would tie them up and they would get their children and they would take them out to the middle of the Roman Colosseum floor. And listen to this. They would dress their kids with sheep's clothing. And they would have them run out. And some of them would be crawling out because they were babies. And as they were crawling around and they were walking around, they would let these lions out. And they would tell them, the guys that were being tied up, they would tell them, deny Christ and we'll get these lions in. But if you don't deny them, you'll see your children die in front of you. How many parents here would, for a lie, let your children die? These guys were so convinced that Jesus had resurrected 
These guys were so convinced that Jesus was who he says that he was, that you know what? They didn't mind seeing their kids suffer in front of them. And they being burned to the stake because they knew that even though their mortal body was going to die, they were going to be with that resurrected Christ forever. They were not dying for a lie. They were dying for the greatest truth that has ever existed upon this world. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was not a liar. He was not a lunatic. He is God in the flesh that came for you and me. And it doesn't matter what condition you find yourself in that God gives you hope that God resurrects you and offers you life in abundance and that's the life that is flowing inside of each of us in this room this morning that's why I don't let none of these news and all these things bring me down because I know that my king lives and he resurrected my God is powerful and my God is mighty and I am sure of who he is I love this song you know that it talks about that my redeemer lives I don't know how many of you guys have heard that song my redeemer lives and I love a part in that song where it says I talked to him this morning I talked to him he's with me he promised to never leave me nor forsake me do you know Jesus like that I want you to close your eyes right there where you're at. And today we have a choice in this place. We have a choice in this place. One, if you already are a believer in Christ, you have the choice of surrendering all your life and your will to his lordship. Because the Bible talks about Jesus being Lord over 5,000 times. And it talks about him being Savior 55 times. Over 5,000 times it talks about us surrendering to Jesus as Lord. Is there any area in your life today, maybe fear, maybe anxiety because of all these things that are going on around us. Maybe you're going through a situation. Today you surrender that to the Lordship of Jesus. And you know that this mighty God is for you. He's with you.